Gospel of Mark chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Uh, Like the other Gospels, we've been in Mark a great deal, um, and like the other Gospels, uh, Mark records Jesus' earthly ministry when he taught multitudes and trained disciples and worked miracles. And most importantly, in, in any of the four Gospels, most importantly, how we see here recorded how Jesus provided salvation by giving his life on the cross. Amen? Thank God for what Jesus did, the Son of God did. We recognized that last week as we gathered together around the Lord's table and we, we celebrated again the power of the the cross and the power of the resurrections. Well, in, in all of Jesus' ministry during those three years period of time when he was in his public ministry, during that time when he was teaching the multitudes and training disciples and working miracles, he, uh, he addressed a lot of subjects. Jesus taught a lot of subjects. And one of those subjects was the subject of marriage. The subject of marriage. And because Jesus addressed it, as we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark, because Jesus addressed it, we address it this morning. Now many people here this morning, many of the people actually that you just saw up here, for the, uh, maybe you've never met them yet, you will, but many of the people you saw up here and others who are seated, many of you are married or many of you will be married. <laughs> many of you have been married I fully recognize that not every person is going to connect 100% with this, with this message because we're, we're looking at this subject that Jesus talked on and it was about marriage, but, but even if you have never been married and you never will be married, you know that marriage has a deep effect upon our society, any society. You have to understand that marriage predates the church, marriage predates government, marriage predates civilization. One of the first things that God created after he created men and women is that he created marriage. Marriage has a huge effect on our society, on any society. There's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions on marriage. There's probably hardly a person here this morning that doesn't have some opinion regarding marriage. Even, do you know that even children who who observe marriage have opinions on marriage. There was a study done a few years ago, and children were asked, about, asked questions about marriage. Some of their responses are absolutely classic. Um, one of the questions that was asked was, what is the proper age to get married? Tom, age five, said this, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. That cute. <laughs> Tom may have a, a hard time having someone agree to that, but uh, again, questions to children. Another question that was asked was, is it better to be single or married? Lynette, age nine, said, it's better for girls to be single but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. <laughs> Who said amen over here? Somebody said amen. You said amen. Answering the same question, is it better to be single or married? Kenny, age seven, said, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) 
How do you decide whom to marry? That was a question. It's a good question. How do you decide whom to marry? Alan, age 10, said, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports and she should keep the chips and dip coming. <laughs> Derek, age 8, was asked, how do you tell if two people are married? He said, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> if, <you're laughs> if they're yelling at different kids, they're probably not married. Don't, don't yell at someone else's kids, only at your own. <laughs> one more question. There's a lot of them, but only just one more question. Children were asked this question, how do you make love endure? Isn't that a good question? That's a good question, especially regarding marriage. Uh, how do you make love endure? Ricky, age seven, said, Tell your wife she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> Smart boy, that Ricky. Smart boy. <laughs> if any of you guys said amen to that, you are in so much trouble later on. Oh, man. I, I don't... <laughs> To the same question, how do you make love endure, Roger, eight, age 8, replied, don't forget your wife's name. That will ruin the love. <laughs> Lots of opinions about marriage. Every one of us here has an opinion, a thought, a comment about marriage because we've all seen it, right? Even if we've never been married or you've been married for many decades or you were married for a time and now you're not, everybody has a comment regarding marriage. And in Mark chapter 10, some people came to Jesus asking him about, well, actually not so much about marriage, but the failure of marriage. So asked about marriage, but they asked about the failure of marriage. Verse 2 of Mark 10 reads this way, some Pharisees came and tested Jesus. By asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? This was their question. What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. Before we read any further, and we will read further, but before we go any further, I want you to please understand that the Pharisees that are referred to here were religious scholars who understood and who knew Jewish law very, very well. But because Jesus' influence, Jesus had been now ministering for the better part of two years, actually a little bit more than two years at this point, and because Jesus' influence threatened their own influence, the Pharisees' influence. The Pharisees, they despised Jesus and they were constantly looking for things to use against him. But as you'll see, instead of talking about divorce, this was their question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Instead of addressing their question about divorce, Jesus began by teaching them and us about marriage. Now, I love how Jesus often, when he's asked a provocative question, I love how instead of 
going to what they think he's going to go to, they actually, he actually went, and you'll find this again and again throughout the Gospels, he would actually go to a, a more important place. He, he didn't always directly respond to what they asked about, but instead he would speak to them about what they needed to know. And this is what he does here. They asked about divorce. Jesus begins teaching about marriage, which is a far more important subject. Jesus always went to the greater issue. In verse 6, Jesus said this, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Let me pause there for a moment. While the Pharisees were really big on Moses' law, we call it the Mosaic Law, from about 1,400 years before this time, While they were very big on the law, I want you to notice what Jesus did. Jesus went even further back than 1,400 years. It says here that Jesus went all the way back to creation. He went to the very beginning, and he said that God made people male and female. He went all the way back, and he said God made people male and female. Now, you have to understand, at creation... And to this day, and at every point of time in between, God made men and women differently. God made people differently. God made men different from women. He made them different anatomically. He made them different emotionally. And he made them different genetically. At the very core, at the genetic core, at their DNA, you probably know this. If you don't, you're just about to get a very, very, very brief lesson in, uh, in chemistry, you probably know that every person's gender is determined by a pair of sex chromosomes. Women, we know, have two X chromosomes and men have an X and a Y chromosome. At the very cellular level, we are different. A woman cannot exchange one X for a Y and no man can change his one Y chromosome for another X. You can't do it. Now, I point out that simple fact, and I was reminded of that in recent weeks as I've been studying this passage again. I point that out because while surgery and medication can alter a person's appearance, a man will always be a man, and a woman will always be a woman. We presently live in a time when many declare that gender is subjective, that gender is fluid, that Gender is, is, is a matter of choice. But Jesus said, I point this out, I quote him, Jesus said, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And I'm really grateful that he did say that. What I've just done this morning is to perhaps give you a small tool in discussion when somebody says something that is contrary to Scripture for you to bring that out and say, hey, listen, there's this text in Mark chapter 10. It says, God made men different from women. And it's not changed, and it never will. In verse 7, Jesus said this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now here again, Jesus is speaking to these disciples. The crowd is around them. The disciples, they're really picking up on this. They're listening pretty intently. 
Jesus said, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Again, Jesus went further back than Moses. He went again all the way back to creation. Mark chapter 10, verse 7, by the way, is actually a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 that says a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. He said, a man will be united to his wife. Did you ever notice that before? You ever, I'm just in, in reading scripture, maybe you've read through Mark or one of the other gospels many times. And did you ever notice that it actually says that, that, that the wording there? You know, words matter, and words matter to Jesus. He's speaking about marriage, but Jesus was very clear what marriage is. Remember, he's still, still not going to their original question. He's talking about marriage. They want to know about divorce. He's talking about marriage. And he, and he makes very clear what it is. I believe Jesus knew. Jesus knew that in some way, shape, or form, he's God, so he knew that in some way, the very definition of marriage would be challenged. So he clearly stated, or actually because he was quoting from Genesis chapter 2, he actually restated that marriage is between a man and a woman. Did you ever notice that? But that's what it says. Marriage is between a man, singular, and a woman, singular. <laughs> I've pointed this out. I said, you know, if, 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 if God really wanted to populate the earth very, very quickly, he, he, he would have taken two ribs or three ribs or four ribs out of them or multiplied one rib into multiple pieces and given him multiple wives and, and all the earth could have been filled. But, but it was God's plan for a man and a woman to marry. If you're new to our church, we're so glad that you're here and you're a part. But I want you to please know that we affirm Jesus' definition of marriage, the biblical definition of marriage. And while we know that cultures and courts will propose various redefinitions of marriage, Regardless of what any law says or what anyone says, Jesus said God made men and women distinct and unique and marriage is between men and women. That's what it says. <laughs> Sometimes people get upset. I've had conversations with people and they go, why do you believe this? Why? Because Jesus said it and I take them back and I take them to these references and many others. These verses... These verses that we just read, just a few verses, but then also many others in the Bible declare that God established marriage. As I mentioned a moment ago, marriage was before almost any other institution other than the relationship between God and mankind, the, the next relationship, the next, the next organization, if you will, that he created was marriage. God established marriage. Marriage is a key part of his plan for mankind. Marriage is something so important, so non-incidental, that God at creation and Jesus here, many centuries later, affirmed what God's plan for marriage was and is. So much of what God wants to do in our world, not only then, but also now, is through marriage. Is it any wonder why marriages are under attack? Certainly the definition of marriage by many is under attack, 
but even marriages themselves. I want to establish this, this fact. You need to understand that if God's, one of God's great plans and purposes for mankind is going to be carried out through marriage, then you can be sure that one of the things that the enemy of our souls wants to destroy is marriages. He hates to see people who are married, who love each other, who, who desire to be used of God within that marriage union. Marriage is, a, again, a key part of his plan. It's not, it's not incidental. It's important. I want you to also please notice here, again, Jesus is telling these people about marriage. Notice that Jesus also stated in verse 7, when a marriage relationship begins, other relationships change. At marriage, at marriage, at the point of marriage, the husband and wife relationship becomes more important than the parent and child relationship. The previous relationship between parents and children does not end, but it changes. You know, I really never thought about this. My wife and I have been married for a little over 27 years, and I really didn't think about that so much. You know, I'm just like, I'm excited about getting married. I didn't, I didn't really think about too much how the relationship with our parents changed, but it really did. In recent months, some of you know our oldest son was married a few, a few months ago, and, and he and his wonderful wife, and just before that marriage, <clears throat> before the ceremony, uh, my wife and I pulled our son Tim aside, and, and we loved on him, and we were crying again, good tears, and, and I said, you know, our relationship is about to change. I said, for these many years, you've been under our authority, and, and, uh, and, but that's going to change. Because now you're getting married and now our relationship is going to change. It's not going to end. We love you. You can always come to us and talk. But, but now the, the dynamic has changed because you, have, you are leaving our home and, and you're going out from under our spiritual authority and you are starting a new spiritual authority of your own. And you're going to be the spiritual head of this home as the husband. Someday, Lord willing, as the father. It didn't end, but it changed. And I mention that because Jesus mentions it, and, and some, of you, some of you have to understand, maybe you're in the child part of that, and you're, you're newly married, and you have a parent, or maybe you're a parent, or maybe you're observing this, and you're wondering, yes, it does change. God has a plan. God has a purpose. The relationship is still there, but it is changed. Verse 8, Jesus said that when marriage occurs, people cease being two entities and they become one. Verse 8 says, Jesus said, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. They are no longer two, but one. David, help me out, would you? Um, last week, thank you, David. Last week... Uh, Last week, Joni and I bought a bought a pizza box. There was a pizza with it, but the the extent that we'll go to do sermon illustrations is really far and wide. But um, we we purchased a pizza, and uh, I kept the box. Knew what I was doing. Um, there are two parts to a pizza box. There's the uh, this is the top bunch of 
useless information up there. And then, and then there's the back, and this is where you hold it, and, and it's different. There, there, there are two parts to the pizza box. The, uh, they, they, they have some similarities, but they're uniquely different. This is the bottom. This is the top. Uh, uh, what I did was I glued them together. I took some wood glue, and I, I glued the top to the bottom um, uh, it, when I did that, you still see both parts. You see the top and you see the bottom, um, but I made them one unit. I, I made this one unit. I, I bound them together. Now, this changes. It will now operate in a very different way. This will never be used again as a pizza box. That would be thin crust pizza if this were a pizza box. It will never again be used as a pizza box. Now this is to place under uh, Harley-Davidson motorcycles or Volkswagen bugs to catch oil. That's what this is for now. That's all it's good for, but this purpose has changed. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? It now operates in a different way because it has been bound together. In in verse 8, Jesus, when he said the two will become one flesh, he's talking certainly physically, but he's, he's speaking about more than that. He said they're no longer two, but they're one. He, he's talking that, that they're bound in, in more ways than just physically, but they're bound in another way. In verse 8, again, Jesus said that, that this, this thing called marriage is more than a it's more than a contract, it's a covenant. It's, it's more than simply a legal agreement that is registered with the county in which a person is married. I'm not minimizing that, but I'm simply saying it's more than that. It's also the fusing together of two lives. Again, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. When marriage happens... It's not just, I like you, you like me, I'm attracted to you, you are the same to me, so let's, we like some of the same things, let's spend our lives together. It's more than that. It isn't just a contract, it's a covenant. It's not just an agreement, it's the fusing together of two lives. I love it. I absolutely love it. I have, I have been so privileged. Many of you, I have had the privilege of officiating at your marriage. And I love it when, when God brings people together and uses them in ways he never used them as individuals. I love to see how God's purposes and plans are carried out between a man and a woman who come together in Christ. It's powerful. Jesus here, he's, I mean, he's taking, he's taking marriage and he's still not addressing their original question, but what he's doing is he's elevating it. He's saying marriage is so huge. It's not something that should be minimized. It's not something that should be taken lightly. He said it's very serious stuff. And he's saying they, they're, they're not just two, now they're one. And then in verse nine, Jesus, now having established what marriage is, he addressed the Pharisees' original question. He said this, Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. 
He said, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. You see, marriages then, you have to understand the context part of it. I mean, it's always good to understand. It doesn't change the meaning to us, but I want you to understand what was happening then and how similar it is to what's happening now. Marriages then were increasingly disregarded. Divorce was easily obtained, in part because the Mosaic Law gave this allowance. If a man wanted, say, say a man's been married for a while and lust takes hold in his heart and he looks over and he sees some other woman that he wants to have sex with, he would divorce his wife and he would marry the other woman. All he had to do was write her out this certificate of divorce and say, I'm divorcing you. He would leave his wife, however long, and then he would marry this other woman. And using the Mosaic law as an excuse, he would say, I'm not committing adultery. I'm married. Marriage had become so tenuous. It had become so flippant. Almost any grounds could be cause for divorce. If you didn't like the way she made the lamb, divorce her. If there was something that he didn't like about her anymore or never did, he would divorce her. But Jesus knew the end of a marriage was painful. Jesus knew that the end of a marriage is extremely damaging. The Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, on this same occasion, Jesus actually went into, uh, he, records, uh, he records, Matthew records, Jesus actually said more than what's recorded in Mark. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse, excuse me, chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus said the only grounds for divorce are unfaithfulness or is unfaithfulness. But even then, he knew that the breakdown of a marriage was and is terribly painful. Jesus knew. Jesus was never married. But Jesus was God, and Jesus had also seen the devastation around him when a marriage ended. He knew that it damaged people and families, and that it damaged God's plan for their lives. Here's the thing, marriages can and do end. It's never without damage. Some of you know this. They do end. But there's always damage. A few years ago, a few years ago, sociologist Caitlin Flanagan 
wrote a Time Magazine cover article. Something that she wrote then that I thought was profound. I'm not writing it as a believer, but as a sociologist. She wrote this, There is no other single force causing as much measurable hardship and human misery in this country as the collapse of marriage. It hurts children, it reduces mothers' financial security, it has landed with particular devastation on those who can bear it least. Here's this woman again. I don't know if she's writing from a Christian worldview, but she's saying that what we what so many of us know is that it, it damages, it injures, it tears it. I want you to know if, if you don't know me, then you need to know I have, I have not personally endured the suffering of divorce. But I have known and pastored many who have endured it. My heart has broken with some of you here in this room when a marriage ended or when the marriage of a loved one ended. I have sat and cried, held those whose marriage is ending and they tried to stop it. But it ended. I've seen it in my family. And I know that those who most despise divorce are those who have been wounded by it. Some of you who have walked through that very dark and difficult time, you despise the end of a marriage even more than I do. Some here have hurt deeply. Now let me be very clear on something. Your marriage, the marriage, whether it was recent or a long time ago that it ended, the marriage may have ended because of choices you made or choices made by your husband or your wife. It may be recent, it may be a long time ago. But even if it's a long time ago, it's still painful. As I, as I tore this thing that had been bound together apart, even maybe some thoughts came back, the, the, the wrenching, the, the tearing, the pain that you endured. It's painful. I want you to hear me on this. Jesus is our Savior, and He forgives. I say that because there are some here that look back on that marriage that ended, that was torn apart. And you look back and you go, I, I, I messed up. I made some choices that were, that were devastating. And some of you perhaps have been carrying it for a very long time and, and while the memory of it 
while the memory of it may never subside this side of heaven, I want you to know that if you have not asked Jesus to forgive you for what you may have done, He can and He does. 1 John 1.9 is one of my favorite verses. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this morning, if whether it was long or distant, Long ago, distant or close up and recent, if you had a part, something that you did that brought about, that was a factor in the end of that marriage, I please want you to understand that Jesus can forgive you for that and Jesus does forgive you for that if you come to Him and you confess it. If you had a part in that, That is not an unpardonable sin. Jesus forgives all unrighteousness if we confess our sins to Him. I also want you to know that Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our healer. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. There are some here who went through the agony of the end of a marriage and you fought it. You did everything you could to stop it. You resisted it with everything in you. You went not only the second mile, you went the tenth mile. And the the shredding that you went through, it may have been unfaithfulness on the part of your spouse. It may have been abuse of one kind or another. And yet you didn't want it to end and you fought. And yet, this thing called no-fault divorce means that even if one resists it, it can still be granted. And you're, you're still brokenhearted about that. It still hurts. Especially if it's recently, it still hurts deeply. Please understand that Jesus is our healer. He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. If you're still, if you still feel shredded, if you still feel like there's some holes in you and there's some parts of you, there, 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 can, there, there, will, there will be a scar. You, you will remember for the rest of your life, this side of heaven, you will remember the pain and the agony of that, but it no longer needs to be an open wound. We serve a healer of broken hearts if we come to Him. My illustration is flawed. The remnants of this box will soon be discarded. It no longer has a purpose. This box is, though it was very purposeful for a time as a pizza delivery device and then 
for a brief time it could have been used to catch oil. Now it's just junk and it will be discarded. It will be thrown away. It will be in the dumpster within the hour. But I want you to hear me on this. Jesus Christ has not discarded you. If you are one who has gone through, or maybe you have a son or a daughter, a sibling, a parent, it was a long time ago, and you still feel the pain of that, I want you to understand that if you've gone through this particularly, please know that He has not discarded you. You have a purpose. And Jesus heals and Jesus forgives. This morning I want to pray for you. I'm not done yet with the message, but I want to pause in the message. And I would like you to do this. Would you all bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Actually, for just a moment, I draw your attention up here one more time. If this morning you have, you have gone through this and you, would, you need, if you've, if, you've, if you've had a part in this, in the failure of this marriage and you want forgiveness, I want you just to, just right where you're seated, you don't need to stand up, we're not going to have you do that, but I just want you to put your hands in a moment like this, in a a receptive place. If you've been wounded and you need healing from (coughs) the end of that marriage, I want to pray for you as well, and I want you to put your hands like this. So now would you bow your heads and close your eyes. Now, Lord, across this room, there are some here who, with hands in a receptive place, are simply saying, as a, as a demonstration of faith, they're saying, I need you, Jesus. Marriage long ago or more recently ended, and I need your healing, and I need your power, and I need your forgiveness, or I need you to do a work in my heart because of the anger or the bitterness that I feel towards that person who, to whom I was once married. Lord Jesus, I pray for that person, those persons here this morning. Maybe they suffered and they were wounded because of a, the end of a marriage of a parent or a loved one. I pray that you would touch them as well, that you would heal, that you, the healer, of broken hearts that you would also bind up their wounds. I pray for those, Lord. Thank you for our brothers and our sisters. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you for your comfort and thank you for your encouragement. Oh God, I pray for them. Again, we're not quite done this morning, but I need everyone to please stand for what we're about to do. Please, everyone across this congregation, if you can, would you please stand? This morning, if you are standing next to your husband or your wife, I want you to please take their hand. If you are not standing, if your husband or your wife is here in the room, I want you to go ahead and make your way to them right now. Do it right now. Doesn't matter if you're an usher, whatever. Just go to them right now. If your spouse is here, your husband or your wife is here, Go ahead and stand right next to them right now. Pause for just a moment. This morning there may be some here and your spouse, you're married, but your spouse is not here for one reason or another this morning. 
If you're married and they are not here, your husband or wife is not here, I want you to please fix their, their face in your mind. It's not difficult to do. You love them deeply. Would you fix their, their face in your mind? We're going to pray for each other. The, the wonderful gift that God has given in marriage the enemy wants to destroy. He really does. He wants to destroy your marriage. And he also wants to destroy everything that you will do in and through that marriage. No more. No more. No more. Husbands, I would like you to do this. You're standing next to them. No kids in between. Don't do that. No kids in between. Start it out with just the two of you. No kids in between right now. Put them off to the side. Throw them over the pew. Get rid of them right now for just a minute. Husbands, I want you to do this. Instead of just taking their hand, I want you to put your arm around them. If that's uncomfortable for you, you've got a bigger problem, and I mean that. I want you to pray for your wife. Now I'm going to lead in prayer. I'm going to pray, but I want you to agree with me. Some of you, you may have never done this before. I'm going to lead in prayer. You listen and you agree. Um, but I also want you to do this. I want you, if you've never prayed for your wife, I want you from this day forward to begin praying for her. And in just a moment, we're going to have wives pray for their husbands. Gentlemen, close your eyes. Put your arm around your wife. Lord Jesus.